scripture reading this morning is found in uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Our uh, speaker this morning is Elder Richard Dana, and he will talk on the essence of Christianity at this time. Well, good morning. How are you? Um, uh, Could you just make copies for me? Yeah, just for me. Thank you. uh, It's written in my paper here. It's an honor and a privilege to worship with you this morning. But you know, I, I say that now. I've, I've, I've spoken in about, this is my sixth English church this year, English-speaking church. And uh, uh, so I write this down, and I, but I mean it. You know, I mean it. I come here, and I, I've come to your church, and I felt welcome. Uh, so many people uh, extended their hands with a beautiful smile. And uh, they directed me to the men's bathroom, you know, right away <laughs> when I arrived. The door was locked and someone unlocked it for me. <laughs> but um, I'm also very happy to meet someone that I knew. We, my, my doctor from back, uh, back in the days when he was in St. Helena area, my wife's physician, and it was just great. I saw my wife hugging and looking, and I said, oh, do I know this man? Yes, Dr. Jen. We're happy to meet him and uh, see him here. And he looks so good, so young. You've, you've gotten younger, and so I think it has something to do with the ocean, I'm thinking. And to be back at Fort Bragg. You know, I, Fort Bragg, um, I, I used to come here. We are, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I will mention this a little later again, just shortly. This is my introduction here. And... Uh, but um, I used to come here with my brother, with our truck, Joe Denna and Sons. It was written on the side of my dad's truck, with bringing cantaloupes and peppers and stuff like that, uh, tomatoes, tr- trying to sell over here. We lived in Chico, California, and we had a truck crop farm, and we would come. Now, I remember that trip. We didn't sell anything. We, we had all our cantaloupes packed, well-packed, and the tomatoes well-packed, and the right size, same sizes in these boxes. And they were bringing in cantaloupes just on dump trucks, you know, and then they would sell them, of course, cheaper that way to the stores. So we didn't have a good trip that time. But I do remember coming to Fort Bragg many, many years ago when we had that farm. But uh, I'm here now because Elder Stan um, Kaler, who, uh, uh, Kaler, right? Did I pronounce that right? I'm sorry. We'd known each other for a while while he worked in Vacaville. I used to go to the uh, Vacaville prison there. The hospital, the, 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 the hospital there for the criminals, and uh, we would go there every every week, and so we became friends. And, uh, and then he said, uh, "Why don't you come and see if there's any possibility to do some work among the Hispanics?" 
I'm the Spanish coordinator in Northern California Conference. I have We have 40 congregations, and I'll be telling you just a little bit about that, that type, the, the work that's going on here in Northern California, and then get on with the message, which is the most important thing. But uh, just a brief introduction so you'll know who it is that's speaking to you. I was born south of the border. I like to tell people that. I was born in Seattle, Washington. I won't tell you when, but I was born in Seattle, Washington. We had a farm in Chico, California. My dad had the farm there, 50-acre truck crop farm, and then we rented. We leased that, and then we rented another 100 acres to plant where we planted just beans. And, uh, but the truck crop farm, we had everything you can imagine, and that was the life to be raised in a place like that. My dad was deported after a while, um, and so we lost everything, but, well, that's the way life is. And then I went on. Uh, I was well. I was there on the farm. Elder Edmund Falkenberg, the old Falkenberg, you know, uh, would come to our farm to give us Bible studies. You know, I am so glad he came. Now, we lived on the way to. I, I don't know if you know where Chico is, but on the way from Chico to Durham, there's seven miles. We lived about three miles towards Durham on an old rural road. And then you'd have to cut into the dusty, dusty road to get to our farm house, which was about three blocks in. When you arrived, we had wild turkeys you had to watch for if you came in the daytime. We had goats. I remember a bill collector came, and the poor guy went to look for my dad. And uh, when he came back, there was a goat on the hood of his pickup. But he had to go against geese and turkeys, and there was a rooster that would chase us, my favorite rooster. We used to go out with his little sticks because he was dangerous. And then one day we lost him, and it was a trauma for me. We had eaten him, my mom said, in a soup. She took care of him. She didn't like him that well. But uh, uh, being on the farm. But Elder Falkenberg came. I don't, my dad never went to church, ever in his life. And when I saw him in his later days of life, just before he passed away, I was in South America and I'd come in to see him. I, I talked to him about uh, making peace with my sister, his daughter, and he was, got angry at me, you know, never had any interest that way. There was no kindness there that way. He was a good man, but in that area. And I don't know how he received Elder Falkenberg. I don't even know why he did. But I thank God that Elder Falkenberg persisted, and he came. And then there's a Bible worker in Chico. She's still there, retired many years. Uh, who uh, Every time I go to the Chico Spanish church, I look her up in the English church. And she's just as vibrant as ever. And she was also the one that brought me in. She has a beautiful voice. And I, she'd come to our house and play on our piano. And I asked her to sing Jerusalem. She could really sing that song. And there was another individual from paradise that would come down. And he also gave Bible studies. And then I started giving Bible studies with him. Elder Falkenberg said, hey, why don't you go to Walla Walla? God is, I think, I'm feeling that God is telling me to tell you to take theology. Well, that's what started my life in Christ. And I thank God for that. I'm sure you have individuals that have brought you to the, to the, to the gospel, right? You remember them. And we thank God for that. Um, after five years in Walla Walla, I was a little slow as a student. I worked my way through. Uh, I was called. I went to Andrews for a year. And then I was called back by the North Pacific Union and the Upper Columbia Conference to work in Toppenish in the Yakima Valley. And I'm telling you for a purpose, uh, this for a purpose. There was n- we had no work among the Hispanics in the whole North Pacific Union. Uh, 
not one particular church or group. And so after four years, God blessed us with an organized church that we organized in Toppenish. Two years later, we were able to organize the church in Walla Walla. And 202, 30 years later, I returned. Uh, I was over here at 202. I was in St. Helena, I think, as a pastor. I returned to um, Toppenish, Washington, the Yakima Valley, to dedicate the church that they finally paid off after 30 years. And I was happy to know. Of course, I knew what was going on already, but I was happy to have it confirmed there that the Toppenish Church was the mother of eight other churches in the Yakima Valley, and Walla Walla, the mother of three. Now we have about 12 pastors, 11 to 12 pastors in that area working on uh, the different churches that we have. And I praise God for that. Thank God for that growth. Finally, after Toppenish, Washington, we went to South America with my wife and two children. Went to Bolivia, worked there for five years, and then to uh, Peru, where I worked uh, seven years uh, teaching in our university there and had two other children, one from Bolivia and one from Lima. One is a Paseña y la otra Limeña. And um, then came back to the United States, went back to Andrews, to Los Angeles, the mission field there, and uh, worked five years in a bilingual church. And then finally, uh, St. Helena, Napa, Santa Rosa, and the Vacaville prison. Napa had 25 members. Santa Rosa had about 25. And we were able to organize Napa into a company and then into a church and then divide that church into a little group in Malejo who now have a, over 100 members and who will soon become a, a, a church someday. We'll organize them into a church. And Santa Rosa has grown to over 100, and they will be organized into a church uh, this year. You'll, if you go to the constituency meeting, they'll probably mention it there at that time. So it's always been part of my life to start work and to see it grow. And uh, so I've come here uh, to see what we can do in in this area. I just, I took the census, this is from 2000, and it's interesting. And you should be studying your census, the demographic of your area here. It's it's very interesting. There's two area codes in Fort Bragg, 95437. And in 2000, you had 14,410 people. 7,201 were men and 7,209 women. So you have a 50-50%, that's what it says here, in this 2000 census. But of the Hispanics or Latinos of any race, there are 2,278, or were in the year 2000. I don't know what it's like now. That's 15.8%. I noticed they have family low below poverty level. There's 310 in 2000. Individuals below poverty level, 2,186. That sort of gives you an idea how you can reach out. And also elderly, people over uh, 65, there are, uh, how many are here? Let me see, I'm going to make sure, 2,266, 15%, almost like the Hispanic. So that it gives you an idea how you can work for the individuals in your community, what you can do to interest them for your church. And then the children here, of course, there's quite a few, and uh, that way as well. Uh, the other uh, uh, zip code here is there's only eight Hispanics there. And it's just a little bit different. I'm not, I don't, I'm not acquainted with what I'm talking about here. I'm just reading the zip codes and the things that I've done here. And uh, one of the things that you need to know, are there Hispanics here? And I know they are because I arrived here some time ago and there was a, a wedding and it was full of Hispanics. And they were using your uh, room, I think. 
I, uh, yes. The the, the 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 public school. That's it's growing, it's growing, and we'll talk about a little bit about that in just one second. Also, um, the the Spanish work in Northern California Conference is this, just so that you'll have an idea. We have thirteen organized churches. Uh, we just organ Tracy was the last one we organized Tracy uh, in August of two hundred eight. We have six organized companies. We have twenty two groups. In, small, in English-speaking churches. So that makes about 40, 41 congregations. Some of the group, one group, Pleasant Hill, for example, has a hundred and some members. So that's a big group, and it's going to be organized into a company this year as well. Uh, we have a total of 3,500 members, Hispanic members, in this conference. 500 of those are in those small groups in English-speaking churches. Our tithe of this group is about a thousand. Well, I mean, 1.7 million. And you figure that because you 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 divide that to see how many pastors you can have. And we have 11 pastors. Now, if you divide 11 by a 1.7 million, that's not how much salary we get. You know that we send the work. The tithe goes up to the union, the general conference, and out to the world. But but that's more or less the uh, the figures, the guidelines that we have to see how many pastors we can have in our area. Our, our work is, uh, well, I won't mention the groups, but we do have like Southgate and Santa Rosa and Chico will be, uh, we're working on planning and organizing them into churches. And Richmond, Pleasant Hill, and Antioch and organizing them into companies. And they go from, from, com- from a group to a company and then a church. Uh, and to the, they join the sisterhood of, of churches. Now, I don't know if there's a problem here. I kind of get the feeling that there isn't by what I've spoken with individuals. But sometimes there are members, and it's not because of prejudice, but they ask me, why Spanish? Why don't they learn English like the rest of the immigrants like we have that are coming here? And that's a legitimate concern. That's a legitimate question. But let me tell you that, you know, coming from Germany, and the immigrants from those times in the past, they left Europe uh, because they, they wanted to leave that persecution. I'm talking about the uh, when this country was first uh, populated. They came fleeing from persecution and with no idea of returning. And, uh, and if you get someone from Japan that comes here, a, an Asian from some other country, it, it's a long ways away. And you have to have people that have spunk to do that. But Mexico is the border, it borders with the United States. And there, a lot of the individuals that come from Mexico, now not the other countries, Argentina and all that, they're also people who are uh, mostly educated, but from Mexico, it's the poor people there that are having difficulty in Mexico, and they come over here to work the fields. And so they're not going to forget their language, and they're probably not going to learn English too well. It hurts them. It's to their disadvantage. But that happens sometimes. It's difficult to learn a language when you're a certain age, and uh, and if they don't have that drive, and if they're re- thinking of returning to their country, and so that's one of the reasons that, that we have to work for them in Spanish. Now, sometimes we have individuals that feel well. Uh, sometimes the value of property goes down when certain groups come in. And that's a legitimate concern. It's not prejudice. It's just a legitimate concern. Gangs and drugs. 
And that's too bad. We're sorry about that. But they're here. Or we're here. (laughs) They're here. And our commission is to reach out to everyone, whosoever would listen. And so then as Christians, even though there are things that we might not like, it's still our responsibility to reach out to these individuals and tell them about Jesus Christ. And so that's why we have this work here. And yes, it is in Spanish. And um, uh, someday, uh, to get in heaven, we'll be speaking not language. Spanish is not the language of heaven. I hear somebody saying that. So it isn't. Uh, but uh, it's a beautiful language. But it's not the language of heaven. And uh, there'll be a special language that we'll all speak and enjoy and, and enjoy ourselves up there. But right now, this is what we have to do to reach out for them who don't understand English. They, they, it wouldn't be very helpful for them to hear something in English they wouldn't understand. And so we have to reach them where they are. And uh, so this is our work here, trying to see now what we can do here. If you don't have Hispanics here or a good crew, a group of Hispanics in the church, it would be difficult to start something because we usually start with the Sabbath school class and we teach that in Spanish and then they can stay in English. But if we're going to keep people here, if it's going to grow... It, they have to break away and have their service in Spanish. And, um, and, uh, and we have churches that, uh, you know, like in, that just have the Sabbath school and would only have Sabbath school and the rest is in English. And we've never had those groups grow. It just doesn't work. And so this is uh, why our work is the way we're uh, attending our work. But let me, let me talk about the essence of Christianity. What is it? Uh, is there a... Bible text that you think would sort of cover what the essence of Christianity, what it means to be a Christian? Could someone share with that with me? Do you have a special text that you think would sort of, in a nutshell, explain what it means to be a Christian? And I have a quote from Ellen White while you're thinking about that. Share with me. Help me. Is there a Bible text that you think sort of uh, tells you you can use mine if you like. <laughs> Is there a Bible text that you think describes what it means to be a Christian? I'm waiting for you to help me. Well, that's a good text. Uh, and that's emphasizing uh, the the work of of uh, of Christ and the eternal and eternal life. It, 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 does that seem to you to be the essence of Christianity? Oh, okay, sharing that with other people. Anyone else? Yes, way in the back. Expressing the love of God to others. Let, let me read this to you. This is I'm translating. I'm sorry I did not get this into Spanish, into English, but this is a quotation found in um, in uh, in Every Day with God. Cada día con Dios. It's that morning watch, a beautiful morning watch of some years ago. I don't know if you kept your morning watches. I've kept all of mine that uh, Ellen White uh, that, that were contributed. I mean. Uh, compiled by Alan White from Alan White's writings. But it's on page 107. That's in Spanish, though. 
And she says this, what is Christianity? She asks. And then she responds, it's the divine instrument for the conversion of sinners. And um, that was her take on what Christianity is, the divine instrument uh, for the conversion of sinners. Uh, there is this text that says, the, John 1, 14 to 15, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. He gave us that right. And I know what a, I know. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going to say what I know what, what the Christians are, but I will say that I've seen changes. And as soon as you become a Christian, there's changes in your life. Uh, your life changes. Your focus changes. Your priorities change. Your lifestyle changes. And let me share this with the children here, with Tomas Garcia. Now, this is kind of a, a brutal story, but Tomas Garcia was uh, a police chief in Mexico. And he was a ruthless man. He reminds me of Patton's who carried those pistols on the side of his, uh, his belt, and, and he used them. And he had the police force behind him, and the people feared him. He was a large man, a huge man, tall and big, and, and he was unafraid. And he had a reputation. Well, the story is now he is an elder in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And he's involved in the church. And he's a changed man. He loves people. And he's courteous. They're holding an evangelistic meeting. And this man is involved. He wants everyone to hear this, particular, this uh, pastor who was invited, this evangelist. And he's inviting them into the doors. But like in South America, I think in Mexico is the same way. I, I hadn't worked in Mexico. But uh, the, some people just stay outside the doors. Oh, they'll look through the windows. They just will not come in. I always had that experience in South America. And I guess this individual was that way. And he's trying to invite him in. Come on in and join. Sit down. And they had talked to the, to the members of the church. Leave your seats and let the visitors sit down. And so, and the church was packed. There was only standing room. And they had a special place with this gentleman that just would not come in. So finally, Mr. Garcia says, look, you go in or I'll plug you. <laughs> he got a little angry. And, uh, and it sounds funny. It sounds good in Spanish when you said, O te trueno. <laughs> I'll plug you. And the gentleman said, okay, okay. Oh. So he walked in and sat down. Now the story is where this gentleman, the one that walked in by threat, is now a deacon in the church. And they're asking him how he came into the church. And he's explaining this story. And he's telling them. And they, this individual that's listening remembers, oh, yeah. And it's sort of funny, you know. And they sort of laugh. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Everybody was talking about that. He said, but that wasn't the reason I came into the church. The next day, Mr. Garcia came to my house. He knocks on the door. And then he, I answer the door, and he sort of stumbles. He, and now this man never had problems with anybody. He didn't fear man or anyone. And, uh, but he's stumbling now. He's stuttering. I, I, I'm, I'm here because, uh, because of last night. Remember? He said, oh, yes. He said, I'm sorry. I should have walked in, he said, the gentleman is saying. You know? He said, no, no, no. It's not that. It's is that I'm, I'm here to apologize for what I did. I should not have lost my temper. And then this individual, this deacon of the church, is saying, that was what changed my heart. If there was power in the gospel to change Mr. Garcia, I wanted that. And so he gave his heart to the Lord. 
so Christianity, I think, is, is having a changing, having, becoming like Christ, having that mind of Christ. Um, there are two texts I want you to consider. You know John 3.16 by heart. And, uh, and then I want you to think about another John 3.16, and I want to read that one. But John 3.16, For God so loved the world, and we've been talking about that. He gave his only son. I remember re- reading once that uh, what you were trying to say, doctor, about the father loving as, like the son. Uh, there's a, an Italian painter who painted the cross, but he did it from the profile, from the side. And you could see the nails that penetrated Christ's hands going through the wood and into the father's hands who was behind him to sustain him. And the idea was how the pain of God losing his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the next John 3.16, where is that? Where would that be? I'm saying this so you won't forget this text. There is another John 3.16. Where could that be? It's a John 3.16. It has to be 1 John 3.16. Open scriptures to that with me. 1 John 3.16. Now, I wish I would have found this text on my own. Now, I read the Bible through a few times, but I, it didn't stick in my mind. It was while I was reading The Purpose Driven Life that I saw this text, and this pastor used it. And I said, oh, what a beautiful text, and what a meaningful text. Now, let's read this. 1 John 3.16, the other John 3.16, the first one, for God so loved the world. What does the second one say? Uh, John, 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Does that grab you? Is that a beautiful text? This is Christianity. You know, it's following the example of our Savior, John 3.16, and our Lord, 1 John 3.16. He's not only our Savior, He's our Lord. We're serving Him now. How would He like to be served? By doing what He did. As the Father has sent out me, so I send you. So I send you. Yes? I love that text, and it's perfect. And isn't it fun? I'm glad you speak out. I like this congregation. I'm glad you're speaking out. And that is a beautiful text, a a living sacrifice, like our Savior, His sacrifice. And then there's another text that I like so well, and since you mentioned it, and I remember, I try to remember texts this way because my memory's gone. So uh, John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, Romans 12.2, Hebrews 12.2 and 3. And what does that say? Uh, Putting your your eyes in Christ, the, the you know the author of our salvation, who because of the joy placed before him, endured the cross. And so the idea I'm going to leave my notes here for a second, but I'm getting excited with what you're saying. But with the idea here is, 
You know, he is our Lord. And Jesus was willing to give his life. And he did it for the joy. For, uh, just think about your, your I, hear, I hear everyone, you speaking about your daughter. And, and she's not in Iraq or, or um, Afghanistan now. Oh, Kuwait and those areas. She's not in that theater anymore, but it's Korea now, South Korea. There's danger there too, but uh, you know they could. We we don't know what could happen there. But um, but you know the concern and, and the interest in your daughter, and the others that have mentioned that. Many of you have said that in your praises. You want those individuals in the kingdom, don't you? That's the best place. We want them out of harm's way. We want our children to go back to church. But we want them especially to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that right? We need to have that experience with other people. Those people we don't know. That individual that you mentioned that saw you praying, and then I think he might have said that just to, to you know, I don't believe in the Bible. That individual, if we had the opportunity to find out, it doesn't matter what he says, he can knock the Seventh-day Adventist church or any church. He can talk about God and blaspheme his name. It doesn't matter. We're not to defend God. He can defend himself. But how can I reach him? God, use me. Give me words. Today, this morning, when I stopped at the McDonald's, and we didn't stop to eat anything, but we stopped to get directions. Uh, I, had to call, I didn't have my directory with me because I changed cars. And I, did, I couldn't remember where this church was. And we asked someone, do you know where Pine and, and Willet? What's the name of the street here? Whipple. And they told me right away. And as the individual started to tell me, but this lady broke in and she says, you go this way and go that way. She knew where it was. So then I walked out and she came up to me. And she says, uh, are you going to the mortuary? And I said, no, no, I'm going to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Do you know where the church is? I don't believe in God. I was a Catholic and I just don't believe in God. I was brainwashed, she said. She used the word. But I have God in my heart. And I said, good. And I wanted to go after her and say, you know, I know you have God in your heart. Because you went your extra way to come back to me and ask me some more to make sure where I was going. I wanted to, you know, I, but I, I missed her. But that's what we look for, opportunities. And we pray for opportunities to share the tremendous message we have. Uh, it, with the Adventist message, but the message of the Bible. What a message. And um, the essence of Christianity, I think, isn't found in this text. And let's, let's read it together. Uh, uh, Philippians 2, 5. What a beautiful text. The whole book is marvelous. The whole book of Ephesians. Now, I'm using the, the international, New International Version, too. I, I like it, but I like the King James in this area better. But this international version says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he's going to describe that attitude. Uh, your mind should be like Christ, the King James, right? How does that say? Do you have King James here? Uh, and then he describes that. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even 
death on the cross. I mean, the most, well, what can you say? Uh, embarrassing and painful. But uh, the, the greatest pain, you know, was that he would, was separated from his father. And he was. You know, we were talking about we don't want to make God the, the, the one that, it, you know, we have to plead for him. But there is a, a statement in, in Patriarchs and Prophets that's called a, it's quoting uh, um, Zechariah uh, 6.12, where it talks about the Council of Peace. And Ellen White refers to that Council of Peace as it occurred perhaps more than once. But it occurred after sin um, happened on earth. And now the plan that was pl- prepared from the before the foundation of the world was going to put into be put into action and uh, but in that council of peace it says and I wrote it in my Spanish Bible that Mrs. White says that council of peace lasted a long time and the reason is though the father and you know and the son created this plan it was just difficult for him to do that not because he didn't love us, but because of the of the of the danger of, of losing his son. And uh, it touched me. It touched me to see God's feelings, God's emotions. Doctor, you mentioned the emotions there. You know, the God and the emotions, or someone did here at the church during Sabbath school. He struggled. He struggled. But of course, then Alan White quotes. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This is in chapter 4 of Patriots and Prophets. And I recommend you read that. It shakes your soul. Because you see the love of God for humanity. And then, when you sense that love, you want to share that with others. But anyway, that's a particular text there. And in this text here, uh, have this mind of Christ. that Think like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And and how does how do you... How do you uh, apply this text to your life? I mean, it's easy to read Philippians 2.5, think like Jesus. And many of us will say, I do. <laughs> I think like Jesus. And, uh, but how would you apply this text to your life? You know, you, you don't have to be a theologian. All we have to do is read Scripture just a little bit more. Let's read verses 2. Um, well, I'll read one, one, one on word. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul is saying. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what I'm saying, I think, is the, in, is the essence of Christianity. Having the mind of Jesus and working on our lives. There was a paper that was handed out, but I didn't, did I get that paper? Uh, yes, can I have, well, let's read just a few. I don't know if I have mine. Mine, I, have, I had an underline what I was going to read, but, uh, but just, this was prepared by another pastor who was having an experience with humility. 
and was looking for that in his life. And he put these together. But let me read the last one. You turn your, the page to the back. If it's Yes, this is the same. And it says, Jesus emptied himself in all that he did. Self did not appear. He subordinated all things to the will of his Father. He subordinated all things to the will of his Father. And he bids us, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. Let self be dethroned and no longer hold the supremacy of the soul. The independence, and this is something that it's, it's in the heart of every American. It's, it's a characteristic of, of North American Americans. Independence. And, and that's good. But it also, it's bad to a certain extent. You know, we let live, let's live and let live. We don't want to bother anyone. We don't want to uh, impose on anyone. And if he has his own faith, well, why change him? And in that particular area, this independence uh, is, is not good. And uh, the independence and self-supremacy in which we glory, listen to this, the independence and self-sufficiency in which we glory are seen in their true vileness as tokens of servitude to Satan. Human nature is ever struggling for expression, ready for contest, But he who learns of Christ is emptied of self and pride, of love of supremacy, and there is a silence in the soul. Self is yield to the disposal of the Holy Spirit. Then we are not anxious to have the highest place. We have no ambition to crowd and elbow ourselves into notice. But we feel that our highest place is in the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ or of our Savior. You can read the others. These are beautiful quotes. And the idea, the idea is, the essence of Christianity is have the mentality of Jesus. Who, though he was God, you know, gave it up. He, he, he became man and he acquiesced his divinity. He hid it in his humanity because he wanted to get next to us. He identified himself with us for eternity. The same Jesus that you see ascending to heaven in Acts 1 will return just as he is. In human form. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? It's like us becoming ants to help the ants. I couldn't, I don't think I would want that. Jesus. You see, and that that mentality, that thinking, that type of thinking, putting others before us, it's so difficult to do. I think that's the essence of Christianity. And I don't think it's fun. It's not fun. Someone says something, we went to, what did it say here? We are ready to, to um, oh, I can't find it now, but uh, we're to, ready for contest immediately to defend the church, defend God. We don't have to do that. God will take care of that. What we need to do is to find out what's making him so angry in a gentle way when the opportunity arrives. And share that. So the idea is to, to be like Christ. And he explains in Philippians 2, 3 to 4 how it's applied in our lives. We have no, there, there's no question here. You know, uh, when we talk about things like perfection, John, Matthew 5, 48, be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Our theologians and individuals will begin to argue what is perfection, it's this or that. Hey, don't, don't worry about that. Just read the verses before that. That's the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Read the three, the three chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what, it, that's what perfection is. Before it says that you should hate your enemy. And No, I say now forgive, bless, 
You see, that's growth. That's growing in Christ. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. It's simple. We don't have to be arguing about what perfection is. And then wanting people to believe just like we believe. Ready for a contest. God needs individuals that think like Jesus. That have the light. He is a light. And he shares a light with us. Light, Mrs. White says, is piety of character. And he wants these beautiful people that have control, that have patience. People that can shut their mouth, not gossip. People who are genuinely interested in others. You know, when I went to the Walla Walla, I, I, I was as poor as they, as they came. My dad had been deported, and uh, we didn't want to live on welfare. My mo- I was living with my mother. My brothers had all joined the army. We have a family, a military family. And uh, so we were struggling there. And uh, um, it, was, it was difficult. Uh, monies were, were, were hard to, to, uh, to, you know, we, to, to buy the groceries that we needed to buy. And, um, and you know what? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, thank you. My wife knows that this happens to me sometimes. So I worked my way through school. My clothes was from Dorcas. And those people, you know, the Dorcas people have always loved me. I guess because as a pastor, I always supported them and worked with them. And uh, when I went to Toppenish, I worked with the Spanish group there. And the Dorcas of Toppenish English Church, I can still remember those people. And they just, and they, they loved me. And I loved them. Walla Walla the same way. They were always so willing to help me. And, um, but... When other Hispanics came, farm workers, and sometimes some of them would steal, and they just couldn't understand. How can you, how can they steal when we're giving it to them? When we turn our back, it's sort of in our nature, you know, we want to take things, you know. Like this guy that was on the, the, on the uh, video here, he was stealing at every store, you know. It's sort of in our nature, and sometimes that happens. And they, they couldn't understand, and I could see their expression in their face was different than when they dealt with me. And I used to hurt my, it hurt me. And I learned, I said, well, I'll never be that way. You cannot, you know, we, we just have to under, try to understand individuals that take advantage. Now, we can harden our hearts and never be uh, burdened by them again or, 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 or help them, or we can be vulnerable and be open to being hurt again. I think that's the best way to go. I think that's the best way. I, I think I see Christ that way. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know who I am. They don't know this experience. They don't understand. They, they're so nationalistic. They hate the Romans so much. They want to kill them. They want a Messiah that's going to fight. They don't want me. They don't want to turn the other cheek. They don't want giving you the cloak. If they steal your cloak, give them another one. They don't want to hear that. Father, forgive them. They don't understand. You see, Jesus' way of thinking is different than ours, but we, we want to become that way. I think that's the essence of Christianity, following him. Um, his motto should be our motto. And what was his motto? I think this was his motto. I have not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life and ransom for others. So.
So, each one of you here, each one of you and the children, we need to be teaching them, the young people, we're here to serve. To serve whoever has need. Even if they steal from us. Even if they, you know, do. We're here to serve. Our, the purpose is to bring them to Jesus somehow. His model should become our model. Uh, his food, I think, should be our food. I love to eat. <laughs> I think it shows, doesn't it? I'm working hard trying to lose weight. I can't. <laughs> I just, I love to eat. And I love to cook. And my favorite thing on TV, can you believe it? C- cooking channels. <laughs> Chopped. I can't believe myself. But I love them. Except when they make oysters and stuff like that. <laughs> and, but when they're doing those vegetables, dishes and all that. His food should be our food. Remember, and Matt, this is John 4. And he says, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish the work. And I know that in the, I know that you've had this experience. So perhaps you've been there ready to eat. Doctor, perhaps you've had this experience many times and they call you. And, um, you know, I'm trying to stop when I'm eating. I'm trying not to respond to phones now because I... I but, but sometimes you've done that. Somebody calls and you answer the phone and, and you know they have a problem. And so you tell them, go ahead and eat, go ahead and eat, because I've got to help. I've got to talk to this individual. They need help. Oh, that, that's the idea of Jesus. You've done that already. Now, you don't want to have your dinner interrupted all the time. But sometimes there are those needs. And his food was to do the will of his Father. And I think that should be our food. His, um, you know, uh, let me say this. I don't know if I need to say this here. I don't think so. You, the, the vibes I get. But I've gone to some very conservative churches where the only Bible you can use is the King James. Now, I've seen others with the other versions here, so I'm sort of safe to say that. And the King James is a beautiful Bible. In fact, I liked it better than in this particular text than this one. But I don't understand it all, all that English, you know, some of the old English. So I tried to find others. Uh, and one day in my English church that I had for a little while, I was in uh, Vallejo Central. Uh, I, they were very strong that way about it, the King James. And I said, you know, I'm going to speak about which version is the best one. So they're here at prayer meeting, and I'm telling them the best version is the one you have and that you're reading. And then I want to say, even if it's the Jehovah's Witness version, <laughs> if that's all you have, read it. You'll get the message. Yeah, there's some problems there, but we have problems here. So we have problems in this version too, and in uh, the King James as well. There are people, they put in the little thoughts there in those special texts like Daniel uh, 8.14 and so forth. But So we have to be c- careful in any version you use. And you have to study to have a hunger for the Word of God. But, um, but I've told the members and I visit the church that Jesus was not a vegan. And then someone said to me, but he is now. <laughs> it was from a church. <laughs> and, English and that's true. <laughs> but the reason, there's nothing against being vegan. Nothing. But if it becomes your only message, and sometimes Adventists, we get that idea. No pork and, and no meat. <laughs> and, and, and we push that and push. That's not our only message. In fact, that's not the main message. It's Jesus Christ. And, 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 and then as you present Jesus to them, if they fall in love with him, whatever you tell them, they'll do. I used to play ball all the time. I was always playing football or basketball or baseball. 
I used to catch the ball and throw it in my bed with a mitt all the time. I played every Saturday. I didn't know how I was going to, when I started to accept this message, I didn't know how I was going to give it up. Well, I don't remember, but I do remember that I gave it up. We were in Chico. I played in all the teams from Little League up to the the 18-year-olds, 17 and 18-year-olds. And there was just one team, and they invited me to play. And I was, I was, I was happy that they invited me, but I, I didn't because I had become a Seventh-day Adventist. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I lost interest in sports. Now, not completely. Now, for three years, I didn't play in Walla Walla because sports were my god. But after two more years, I really did play a lot. I thought I could control myself a little bit better. But, but at the beginning there, I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, baseball wasn't that important. But it was just following Jesus. And I remember when they gave us in the Chico Church signs of the times to deliver. I took a big stack and I went day after, um, not day after day, but week after week, handing them out, handing them out. I wanted to share this message. And then I started reading the Bible. I read it all through and started reading all of Ellen G. White's books. Ellen White says that the first impulse of a converted person is to share the faith with someone else. And, uh, and so his food should be our food. You know, Mr. Fair, I'm, I mentioned this name. Oops, it's 12 o'clock. I'll quote a little quicker now. Mr. Fairer is a, it's a German name. Mr. Fairer was at Wall- Andrews University. I had come back from Bolivia. I stayed five years in Bolivia. We stayed five years in Bolivia so I could study one full year at Andrews. That's the plan. And so there I was studying. We were in an apartment, an efficiency apartment. I had, we had three children then, didn't we? And... Uh, and so we're there, and it's just two bedrooms. I have a son and two daughters. So that doesn't, wasn't working so well. So I, we had to rent a house. And it was a beautiful house, huge house, big lawn for $400 a month. Can you believe that? And uh, so we were renting it. I had nothing in the house. I didn't plan on renting a house. So we, the next-door next neighbor was Mr. Ferrer, non-Adventist, retiree, looking for a place to retire, and, uh, and, and he was selling his things. So I have a need. My need is a washing machine, a dryer. And so I'm over there, and I buy his washing machine. I buy a dryer. I buy a coat from him, too. But it was too big for me, and I didn't want to give it back to him. You know, I, I, I bought it and paid for it, so I kept it. And, and, uh, and let me just tell you how simple it is to share your faith. I was hungry for football. I was hungry for the sports. And he was there watching television, and he was hung, and he was happy to have me sitting by him. And I was asking him questions, and he was telling me. I was doing missionary work watching television. Can you believe? Is that possible? Of course, you don't want to watch some real bad movies, but uh, and you don't want to overdo it. But I was doing missionary work. He asked me. She asked me. He says, "Do you like sauerkraut?" I said, "Yes, I love sauerkraut." When I used to call Porter. When I didn't sell anything, I had to, I, depending on what I could sell, I'd sell small books, and I'd buy a can of beans, a can of sauerkraut, and I'd eat it cold. I love sauerkraut. And so I said, yes. So she gave me sauerkraut. She put it in the bowl of this glass casserole, sauerkraut and, and um, salchichas, how do you call those? Sausages in the round, around it, and black pepper in the middle, and a glass of milk. I worked the dairy at Walla Walla. So I knew what went through that milk thing. I, I, I stopped drinking milk at Walla Walla. I don't drink it. And I don't ask me why unless you, if you still like milk. 
So I didn't drink milk. I don't eat pork. And I wasn't into black pepper. And so she offered me that. So I took it. I took from the. You know, I didn't take the pork, but I took the sauerkraut. And then she said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. You don't eat pork." I said, "That's fine. This is fine." So I had the big bowl, uh, plate of sauerkraut. And then I said, "Can I have more?" And so I got another one. That's the best way to win people's heart: eat their food. And I drank my glass of milk. Do you want another one? I said, "Okay." And so I drank that one too. And then I asked her. I said, "Do you like Mexican food?" And she said, "Yes." said, can we invite you over one day? And she says, sure. Now, my wife is Puerto Rican, but she knows how to make a lot of variety of foods. And so um, we invited them. If you, I don't think we'll be staying with potluck for you today, with you today, but, uh, but if you invited me, if I was at your potluck and you wanted to eat, you asked me to pray because I pray like this. I get to business, especially when it's food. But this particular prayer, I thought it out and I planned it out. And I talked about everything I could about them. They were looking for a place in southern part of this country where it was warmer among the Seventh-day Adventists because they liked the, 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 the atmosphere. So that's what I prayed for. I asked God to bless them and their families and everything I could think of because I was pouring everything into that prayer. And then we ate. After we ate, Mr. Ferrer said to Dena, an Hispanic, an, an older gentleman, German, nothing in common. He says to me, you know, or she said to us, this is the first time in all the years that we lived here, 30-some years, that somebody has invited me to their house to eat. And I said, oh, man, Mars Hill, somebody calls Andrews University. Good names, the good names of our church, all of them are living around us. I could mention some of those names. Uh, and no one invited them to eat. Uh, we need to we need to know who our neighbors are I have quotations here I'm not going to read them because time is gone but but we need to know who our neighbors it's our responsibility it's, it's our God given responsibility it's our God given privilege and you know it's so easy to share your faith you know what we're pushing well let me go to one more point here his flag or, or, or banner should be our flag now Jesus didn't have a flag but if he did it would have been that uh, the foot washing basin and the towel, I think. That would have been his banner, humility. <laughs> and um, and uh, he said, take my yoke upon me and learn of me that I am meek and lowly of heart. And it's easy. And if you read some of these quotations here, it says, you know, when you're dead in Christ, you, you, nothing's going to bother you. What, what can hurt a corpse? You know, one of the worst things I have in my mind is a picture of this uh, one soldier that was being dragged in that African country. He was being dragged by his neck. He was dead already. And then his leg was bent over. And he was a huge, a big soldier, big man. And he had just under his underwear, his um, marine underwear, they were the, yellow, the green color. And they were just dragging him. And he spit, and everybody laughing. And I said, oh, I hope his mother doesn't see him. Oh, I hope she didn't see him. But you know, he's dead. He didn't feel anything. And as a Christian, when you're dead in Christ, if somebody insults you, <laughs> you're dead. There shouldn't be any... You know, that's what we have to grow to. That we have to. That's the maturity. Jesus wants us to get there. Because there's so much of this bombardment against us. And we are special people. We represent Him. 
And if we have his character, you will have the most tremendous experience when you testify. There's three things that we need to do. Study the Bible, pray, and bring somebody to Christ. I don't know if you heard that, but that is what everybody has to do. And that's not giving Bible studies. To bring to to give your testimony is not giving a Bible study. This is not a gift. Some people say, I don't have that gift. You don't have to knock on doors of people that you don't know. You don't have to uh, give a Bible study if you're not comfortable with that. But we do have to testify, confess. We have to confess Jesus Christ. And, and once you have the experience of Jesus in your life, you will be a magnet. You will be a magnet. You will have experiences like you've never had before to share your faith because of what you're bringing to the table, your serenity, the peace in your heart and your mind. It's a, it's a mind change that we need. We know that we have, the, it was this next text that I wanted to say, is his goal should be our goal. And what was his goal? His goal was to fulfill God's dream. And what is God's dream? Uh, if, uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 27 to present a glorious church without, uh, without stain and without blemish. That's the kingdom of God. That's his kingdom. And that's an individual thing. It's not a corporate thing. It's an individual thing. He wants us to be without blemish and without spot. That's God's dream. That's his church. Now this other thing over here, it, we have the structure. We have buildings. We have schools. And those are necessary since we're here on earth. But you can develop, we can make our churches grow without the Holy Spirit, but you can't make His kingdom grow, that changing of our lives without the Holy Spirit. And it requires three things. And I have more than ample Bible texts and Spirit of Prophecy texts to support this. Bible study, prayer, and bringing somebody to the feet of Jesus. We spend money in the evangelists. And we bring Bible workers. And I know, I did this. We, we spent a lot of money, $2,000 a night in one place we had. 1,000 people coming to hear of our greatest evangelist, Bouillon. Uh, uh, but what we sh- where we should be spending the money is preparing our people and giving them material so that they, when they confess Jesus Christ to an individual, can bring them and give them the material they need to bring them to the kingdom of God. It, it, uh, that's God's dream. That's his church. And that was Christ's goal. And that needs to be our goal. And finally, his cross should be our cross. Would you open your scriptures to Luke 9, 23? Uh, this is my favorite place. This appears two or three times in the Bible, in the Gospels. But this is my favorite. Uh, Luke 9, 23. And I'll close with this, I promise. Luke 9:23. An optimist. You know what an optimist is? When the pastor says, in conclusion... The person puts on his shoes. <laughs> That's an optimist. Uh, but I am closing. This is the close. This is the final text. Luke 9.23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny self, take up his cross daily. That's why I like this text. It uses the word daily. And follow me. Now what does it mean to take? Your cross to pick. What does that mean? What, what is involved in taking your cross? Well, the text tells me denial is involved, de- denying self, and we've been talking a little bit about that. Putting others before you, Philippians two, three, and four. 
considering other more important or as important as you? That's difficult to do. That is difficult. That's the essence of Christianity. It takes its growth. It takes time. It's the process of sanctification. It takes time to, to arrive there. But, but you do it. Do you know how you do it? Through confession. Not perfection. Confession. You confess and you repent and you keep going forward. And eventually, you'll shine like Jesus Christ. And, uh, but what is, it, what is it to take up his cross? I think this is what it means. The cross, your cross, the cross that you're supposed to take is a conflict between two wills. It's conflict between your will and Christ's will. And this is why it's so important to pray and study the scripture because you need to find his will for you for that particular day. Every day, every day, you cannot leave your house without surrendering to Christ. And like Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me, until I'm sure that you're with me. These are my plans today. Is it all right? Is this is all right with you, Father? Be subordinate to his will. It's, a, it's, a, it's an experience we need to grow into. And it's not easy to deny self. It's not easy. It's not easy. You know what we're doing in the, Advent, in the Spanish church now? Now, I... Now, this will take a little longer. The Purpose Driven Life. The Purpose Driven Life is a book that some of the churches started to use. But then we had our president of our union who wrote against it. Remember? And he had a legitimate reason. But I was telling the other pastors of the big Adventist churches in this conference, I said, you should just go ahead and use it. Remember, there's a page where Moster talks about... Oh, excuse me. Well, you know who the president was. Uh, who 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 speaks about how good the book is, but then he's speaking the rest of the book about the dangers. Well, the Brazilians, when they got the book, The Purpose Driven Life, they said, wow. They made it a Seventh-day Adventist book. They made it a Seventh-day Adventist book, and it is shake in this Spanish world. They made the 40 days, a program for 40 days. And... Uh, uh, it, it's a book with forty uh, divided into 40 days and it is marvelous with quotes from Ellen G. White and every day there's a text there that tells you about having the whole armor of God and then there's a place to write to journal in the back of the book what are your plans for that day and then ask God is it alright and the idea is to spend the first hour we try to get our people to change their mindset. They have to go to bed earlier, to get up earlier, to spend one hour, at least one hour with God. You know, we don't want them to get hooked on the one hour, but to spend one hour with God in prayer and meditation before you go to work. You, you can't live without it. And, and so then, uh, this is in English. I just found it the other day in the, in the Bible study, in the Bible book, uh, and the ABC at the Central Conference, and I ordered it for the... It's not as good, but it's good. It divided into 40 days. Now the Brazilians can't do anything without trying to do something missionary. So then they say, since you're going to be praying for 40 days, you're going to dedicate your life to God just 40 days. The idea is it, that it becomes a habit, and they'll do it from then on. So if you're doing it for just for 40 days, just give me 40 days. Let's, let's study this together. 40 days. Since you're going to do that, look up five people, five of your friends. Look up five of your friends and tell them, hey, I'm going to be praying for 40 days. And, uh, and I was wondering if I could pray for you, if you wouldn't mind. People want to be prayed for. 
These are friends. These are people you know. You don't have to go against, you don't have to go with people that don't know you because people that don't know you don't trust you. You know, they don't, they don't know you. There's danger in this country. You can't let people you don't know into your house. So you go with people you know. You go with people you know and you mingle with these people, you know, Christ's method. And, be, and get, create confidence, you know. And so you, you go with people you know and you tell them, can I pray for you? Since I'm going to do this, I need it. And since I'm going to be doing it, can I pray for you? Five people. And you pray for them 40 days. There is power in prayer. And you should see what happens when we pray for five people. There's a program now for couples. For a two couple, for a couple, we'll read this book. This uh, it's all it's uh, it's in English. It, we have it, the, the Portuguese have done it, but it's still in Portuguese. Uh, the Brazilians, I mean, and it's going to be translated into Spanish soon. But but in English, there is this book, um, Dare Lo- Love Dare. Do you know that book, Love Dare? They sell it for about eight dollars in Walmart. It's from that. You don't know that book? It's divided into forty days, and it's for husbands and wives to read together. And since you're going to read it. Then you pray for two couples in the church or anywhere. Imagine that. You praying for people. Well, anyway, you pray for these five people. A week later or two weeks later, you call them up. says, I'm still praying for you. Is there anything you want me to ask God in your favor? Man, this works. Woodland, Spanish church, small church of 100 members, has done, did it. They prayed for five people, the members that were doing it. Quite a few of them were doing it. And then they had the reunion. After the 40 days, they select a day and the Sunday and they invite the people, everybody from the church, to hear the testimony. You should hear the testimonies. And they invite the people they've been praying for. Fifty non-Adventists that had never stepped within the Seventh-day Adventist church were in the church now, that particular day. There was no money involved. There was no concert, no big singer or great evangelist. It was just people praying for five of their friends. And ten of those fifty are studying the Bible to become Seventh-day Adventists. And if I, I, you should just hear the testimonies. You should hear. Now, my sermons, I've preached almost 30, I've been to 30 churches now since February. That's all I preach. That's why I'm a little unfamiliar with the English sermon here. I, I was having trouble. Now, you didn't notice, did you? <laughs> and uh, I, I was having difficulty. But, uh, but uh, that's all I've been preaching in PowerPoint. And then I got it into English. Uh, but, um, but what an opportunity. And so uh, I think that's what God wants us to do, to have the mind of Jesus and to realize that it's easy to testify. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and love him and then tell somebody about him. In the October the 18th, there's a meeting in the, in the Central Church, Sacramento Central. All the pastors will be there, department workers and so forth. And they're presenting different things for lay leaders to learn, you know, of, uh, you know the, the departments of the church. The Hispanics, what we're going to do, they gave us the sanctuary because we'll have probably more there. What we're going to do is, share, is tell them that you can share Jesus Christ by what you're doing. And I wrote an article there. It's in English, but I, but I, I wrote it because I had to give it to the confer- conference first. He says, what, you know, how do you testify? All you, what is it that you do best? How do you exercise? Do you run? Do you jog? Do you kayak? Do you go to the ocean and kayak? What do you do for exercise? Do you walk? Uh, do you like to go to the garden, to, to the parks? Or, well, just do that. And, and then I ask, well, what does that have to do with witnessing? Everything. What do you like to do? Do it well. 
Enjoy yourself. Buy the equipment that you need. And then invite somebody else to do it with you. And when the opportunity comes, talk to them about your best friend. Who's your best friend? He's your best friend. And your face will show it. They'll see how you are with your family. These little children here, they... That they're, that you guys are doing a good job. They'll see that. They'll see that. Well, I better quit. God bless. Father, uh, thank you for the your magnificent word. It, it, it costs so much to have that word like we have the Bible when we study the history of the book. And oftentimes we take it so lightly. We don't read it as much. But inspire us with that. Man should not live by bread alone, but but every word that that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said. It is written. It is written. It is written. Three times he quotes Deuteronomy when he confronted uh, Satan. Father, we don't need it any less than he did. He was desperate. He needed it. He didn't want to be separated from his father for eternity. Uh, and someone was asking that question. I don't know what, how that would have happened. I don't know. But since it's not in Scripture, I don't worry about it. But, but there was that danger. And so Jesus was aware of that. And so he fed on that book. And he talked to you. And he brought people to, to you. Father, he's, we love him. I've heard that this said here over and over. I, I just I hear people, they praised him and praised him and praised him. And that's wonderful. Well, let's help us share with others. Give us the strength go, to go to our friends. And, uh, and first of all, we, we just have to be friendly. We don't even have to talk about the Bible. In fact, the people that know us, know that we're Christians and they sometimes shun us because we're going to talk about the Bible. We don't have to talk about the Bible at all. We want to win their confidence, like Jesus said. We want to show sympathy. That's all. Help us forget about the Sabbath and the state of the dead and those things at the beginning. And just be friendly. Just listen. Just help. Just serve. And when the right time will come, you'll indicate that to us. And we can tell them, hey, you know, I like you as a neighbor. You're the best neighbor. I want you to be my neighbor in heaven. And in my church, every Wednesday, we pray for you. I, I present your name before them. I'm praying for you, but we present your name before before the congregation. Why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and hear our prayers in your behalf and in the behalf of all of us? Something like that, simple. And then, if they're really ready to study, We'll bring those people that can give Bible studies and let them give the Bible studies. But every one of us, even these young children, somehow need to share Jesus with friends. And in a right way, so it doesn't they don't we don't cause them to blaspheme or to ridicule. And then of course that's going to happen anyway, so we can accept that. But but our purpose is not to create prejudice, but to break down the prejudice. We don't have to talk about any church. Never should we say anything about any church. And just reach out to these people because you love them. We want them to be part of this remnant movement. It's going to be difficult. And they need to get to know you now so they can develop the strength to withstand what's going to happen in the future.
And we don't have to worry about that. All we have to do is just today surrender to you, live for you, and share you to others. In your son's name we pray. Amen.